Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash Boost by Tax Day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Hello and welcome to another video and podcast from fantasyfootballscout.co.uk. My name is David and today we are going to be continuing our series of FPL team reveals. But we're going to be doing it a little bit differently today. Those of you watching on YouTube will notice that I'm here by myself because uh, by, strangely, by popular demand, uh, we're looking at my team today because I've been doing a lot of videos this summer looking into a lot of very specific issues, going into um, very granular detail on lots of questions that you have perhaps about uh, Nana coming to Man United, whether or not Mount's going to affect Fernandes, um, you know, who was the best Chelsea defender to own between James and Chilwell, all sorts of really detailed things that I've had the opportunity to go through courtesy of some great content also on the website as well, been bringing some of that to you. And uh, what I've discovered in the comment section is that people are saying, well, if you're going to do all of that level of research and you have the ability to basically just do this all day, will be quite useful to know what that means for your team. So firstly, I'd love to thank everybody who showed an interest in my team. Did not expect that, uh, especially when we've had some some great managers come on and share their teams. So yeah, so thank you to you for inspiring this uh, particular idea. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to do this slightly differently to some of the other team reveals that I've done. I've often asked them questions about specific issues and, and garnered their thoughts. But I'm actually going to show you uh, three different teams that I've come up with throughout the summer to give you an idea of what my thought process has been from day one up until now. And I'm also going to go into detail on a possible salad draft because I did promise that I would have a look at it and I accidentally discovered one uh, this morning actually. And so I want to bring that to you. And then in terms of helping you understand the transitions from one version of my team to the next one, I'm going to show off some things from the Fantasy Football Scout members area that have helped me do that. Many of you will know that we are obviously talking a lot about Fantasy Football Scout membership in the summer because it is the time, of course, where it is the most impactful because it will help shape your game week one team until you're locked in for that first game week. And there's all manner of uh, amazing good stuff in that membership that's going to help you with that, including the preseason minutes tracker, season points projection, team transfer planners, drafts on the best fantasy managers, including some previous winners but a lot of what you're going to see today is going to be the tables and the comparison tools um, which is that raw data showing us and helping us understand the different trends and understanding them to the best possible degree um, throughout the course of the campaign last time out and in some instances towards the back end of campaign things like that that's what you're going to see a lot of today and if you want the opportunity to be able to access that information yourself and and treat it with the same interactivity that i can and other members can now is the time to sign up save up to 30 percent on those pre-season prices and another exciting uh, venture as well of course is uh, you are if you've been using plan fpl at all uh, of late you can now pull through a lot of that member's stuff into plan fpl so keep an eye on your plan fpl uh, dot com account because it means that you can plan for the season using the fantastic uh, planner but also benefit from the members benefits as well and so it's actually with plan fpl that i begin because that is where my team was in its infancy i was able to build myself a prospective game one team before the game had even officially launched because of course we uh, had some price predictions on there and then we had some price uh, drip dripping and dropping throughout oh, price here price there price here price there and that started to fill in some of the gaps and we started being able to put together a team and so bef on I think it was either the day before the game launched or the morning of I was able to put together uh, a nice 3-5-2 based on the players I'd seen released and it wasn't the entire game and so it was I was picking this team sort of half blind I suppose but there was a lot of good things that we that we could see that made me very excited and so I'd gone with Pickford and Horvath in goal um, because I quite like the Everton Luton rotation of course Luton don't play game week two now so I like that a bit less and the goalkeeper situation will you know many of you will know I'm actually pretty settled in a situation that's not this for now but I also had Trent Shaw and Stones as a back three 
Uh, I had Fernandez, Gross, and Bermo Sterling, and Erdegaard as my midfield five. Haaland and Jesus up front with a bench of Henry, Bell, and uh, Scarlett because I, I just wanted a, a cheap 4.5 striker. And uh, being a self-confessed Jerry Anderson fan, I felt that going with Captain Scarlett was was the way to go. But three five two at the time seemed like the the formation to be in. We hadn't had the team, uh, we hadn't had the full game launch. I hadn't had a chance to build my team in earnest, knowing everybody's prices. Uh, but uh, I was quite happy with the three-five-two because we kind of looked at what had been released and we felt that there was lots of options in midfield, not so many options up front, and therefore it would mean that we would need to secure those price points in midfield uh, so that we could drift through the different uh, players available in uh, each of the price points as the fixtures chopped and changed. And yeah, that's what my team was then. But then the game launched itself and I picked something a little bit different. And so I was in this formation for quite some time. And uh, there's a couple of things that have stayed true for my team throughout the whole of preseason. And there's a couple of things that have changed. And with each of the different teams, as I said, I'm going to go through some of the key issues, uh, key decisions that I've made and show you the information from the fantasy football scout members area that helped me make those decisions and potentially could help you make them as well if you're wondering about them and so once I had confirmation that Flecken was 4.5 Strakosha was 4 million and Rea was 5 million and probably on his way out of the club it was a very very easy choice to stick him in goal Flecken that is with Strakosha on the bench I kept uh, Trent Stones and Shaw as my back three I had Fernandez Martinelli this time so save 0.5 on Odegaard Sterling Gross and Mbermo uh, Harland and Jesus and it was really only the bench that changed massively because I had Vinicius as a 5 million striker I had Mitchell and Mings on the bench from Palace and Aston Villa respectively so let's uh, let's start off with the um, the Brentford situation first because um, I still am fairly confident that this is a great uh, combination of players to have for the start of the new season as in Flecken and Strakosha because Brentford last season, they had a very interesting statistical campaign. So they had um, conceded the second most uh, shots on target, 197, which on the surface, you go, oh, okay, allowing lots of shots, that's that's not good, especially if they're on target. Well, it's all about where they were coming from. The majority of those ended up coming from outside the box, so they ended up uh, conceding the fourth fewest big chances of 67. And so there was no team in the Premier League that had a bigger number between those two figures than Brentford. That confirmed to us that Brentford had fallen into that that sweet spot that we're always looking for for a goalkeeper, which is a team that concedes lots of shots and therefore allows that goalkeeper to make lots of saves. But the way that they defend and the way that they set themselves up largely limits those shots to areas where they're not actually all that dangerous. So that the difficulty of those saves coming in are relatively easy and therefore, you know, the saves become even more probable. And then at the same time, because they're limiting the quality of those chances, they do keep a solid number of clean sheets. And then on the occasions when they were facing bigger teams, who, who obviously peppered them with more shots and of, of higher quality as well. You know, you were getting save bonuses for Rea, who had a very good save percentage last season, and of course, finished the campaign as the top scoring goalkeeper. And so, when we had a look at Flecken in the uh, preseason, uh, the pre preseason, because it was way before the game launched, it was nice to see that if uh, Rea was going to leave, Flecken looked like a like for like replacement. You know, the only thing that would change about the team would be the goalkeeper. So, that ability to keep those shots from a distance to limit them to small chances instead of big chances was going to stay the same. And if you put a cheaper goalkeeper in from an FPL perspective, perfect. And the other thing that Rea also offered, of course, was the um, passing. Uh, that he had as well. Uh, he was a good distributor and that also helped him with his bonus as well as the saves. And uh, that is one of the many things that Flecken has been known for in his career up to this point. He's very good with his long passing, but he's also very good with his shot stopping, his reflexes and, and saving his close range shots. His save percentage over the past two seasons has been largely similar to Reyes. Reyes has admittedly been better. And so we could perhaps see some mild regression from the Brentford defence. But Bearing in mind the position they're in, no team had a bigger difference between uh, shots on target and big chances conceded uh, than them. You know, even mild regression there is going to still help this 4.5 million uh, guy offer some value. The save percentages, just to go through the details then, Rea in 21-22, 75.7%. Uh, save percentage and then Flecken 73.8 then the most recent campaign 78.2% for Rea and 74% uh, for Flecken and what that kind of allowed me to do is it allowed me with this position I felt 
and actually Fleck and, and Sukrasha remains my goalkeeper duo. Uh, it just allows me to sort of be a little bit fixture-proof because sometimes with goalkeepers, people like to do a bit of a rotation, two 4.5s. And in a world where that was possible, I would have maybe been interested. We're going to talk about some rotations a little bit later uh, in the 45 uh, defenders area but unfortunately there hasn't doesn't appear to be two 4.5s I can realistically rotate and you know for example I like the Aston Villa and Crystal Palace rotation but Martinez is 5 million and so knowing that I don't actually have to rotate here because of the stats we just talked about Brentford it makes me quite happy so at home against Spurs game week one Brentford are unlikely to keep a clean sheet there, but Spurs are going to be very, very shot persistent under their new manager. And so I'm anticipating getting maybe three, perhaps four points out of my goalkeeper there, just purely from the volume of saves that he's going to have to make. Then Fulham away game week two, that feels like a clean sheet loading. Crystal Palace at home, maybe. But again, that's a very attacking team. And so therefore we could see lots of saves. Bournemouth at home game week four and then Everton at home game week six. You know, there's at least three games in there where I'm confident of a clean sheet. And then the Spurs game, the Palace game and the Newcastle game, I'm confident of a volume of saves. And then it means by just sticking Strakosha on my bench, if for whatever reason it's Strakosha that gets the number one uh, jersey instead of Flecken, uh, then I've got myself the starting Brentford goalkeeper, no matter what happens with the possible exception of whether or not David Rea leaves. It looks like he probably is, but it has been a bit of a transfer saga that does continue on. And so maybe that will be, you know, maybe I'll need to keep monitoring that. But for now, I'm fairly confident that he's going to leave. And if he does stay, I may need to reevaluate, but I'm fairly happy with it at the moment. So just jumping back into that um, first initial team then, I'm going to talk about another part of this team that has stayed the same the whole way through. And that is the aforementioned defensive rotation of Chris. Crystal Palace and Aston Villa because their fixtures and their defensive capabilities have looked quite nice. Now, you'll notice, actually, I'll just jump back to the team, that they are actually on the bench for game week one. Mitchell and Mings were my original two. Um, I have played around with uh, who the 4.5 millions are and I'm still open to who they're going to be because we've got to wait to see who's going to play in pre-season of course and but yes they're on the bench but I still actually think that having some defenders who can rotate and come in when needed is quite important and whilst it seems like an odd thing to get started with at the beginning of this um, that is usually a good foundation so that you don't have to worry about those slots and so yeah let's jump into it Villa and Palace now some of you may have heard me talk about this already my apologies if you've already um, heard about this in detail did a scout report on Pau Torres and what he's going to bring to the Villa defence and used it as an opportunity to uh, extol the benefits of being invested in the Villains backline this year and yeah here's, here's a little bit of extra information on it so in the last 12 game weeks of last season they were second best for uh, clean sheets that's Aston Villa with five only Man United had more then in that period they were also very good for big chances conceded 23 was in the top five for the Premier League and at the same time Crystal Palace were the second best for big chances conceded and then when you look at the last 15 for goals conceded Aston Villa were officially the best defense on this metric for the last 15 game weeks just eight goals conceded that was one fewer than Man City seven fewer than Man Manchester United in third place uh, Crystal Palace did concede 18 across that run but they conceded fewer as we moved into the last 12 and of course you know conceding very few big chances they sort of underperformed against their defensive metrics and so hopefully with a full pre-season in them they can maybe tighten that up a little bit but even still Crystal Palace were in the best five for fewest goals conceded in the last um, 15 game weeks of the season and so bearing in mind that we've got those two teams that finished the season defensively strong with 4.5 million defenders at both clubs it makes this run of fixtures very appealing so Aston Villa they've got Newcastle away Everton at home Burnley away Liverpool away Crystal Palace at home and then Chelsea away now you'll notice that there's three games in there you don't really want to start an Aston Villa defender Newcastle away Liverpool away Chelsea away well handily enough Crystal Palace's fixtures slot into that like the clock like the cogs in a clock and you've got Sheffield United away when they face New when Villa face Newcastle and then you've got Crystal Palace hosting Wolves when Aston Villa uh, play Liverpool at Anfield and then you've got Crystal Palace hosting Fulham when Aston Villa place uh, face Chelsea and then in between that Palace have Arsenal Brentford and Villa and so therefore they're the ones you probably don't want to start your uh, Crystal Palace defender for so that has remained a defensive rotation that I've stayed invested in the whole way through because nice and cheap and they can come in whenever is needed and I just think that this is the best 
defensive rotation on offer uh, for the first six anyway. There's a couple that look a little bit better for slightly long term, but it's it's hard to plan too far ahead um, in terms, especially with defensive rotations at this part of the season. So yeah, um, those players have switched around a little bit. Um, we'll come on to them in a minute, but at the moment it's placeholded for to have at least one of those two. And so yeah, that was my first draft. I was quite happy with it. I didn't have Salah. I had Trent and uh, I had Stones as well because I like the Man City defence. I had Sterling because I felt that um, Chelsea were going to do well this year and I was excited to maybe get ahead on the bandwagon there. I'd chosen Martinelli as my Arsenal midfielder to save a bit of money. I was quite happy with Fernandez because I wasn't scared of downgrading uh, with him. Uh, for example, I had Mbermo because um, kind of everybody else had Mbermo, but all for a good reason. You know, he's going to play in a very advanced position without Tony. That was what my thinking was at the time. And Gross was my choice of Brighton midfielder. Now, lots of these things have changed. And before I jump into my second team, I have to give a lot of credit to a number of other contributors in the community because, you know, when you change your team and you tinker around, there's lots of different reasons for that. The the stats in the members area is a big one, but also doing a lot of these team reveal videos with some very high profile managers who have good OR history. There was a number of people who helped me understand that perhaps maybe I'd got something wrong with my first draft. And I think that's, that's one of the things that's also important to recognize sometimes when you're building a draft is um, testing all of your preconceptions and thinking, hmm, you know, have I got this right? Have I um, correctly uh, come to the right conclusion? Have I used the right pieces of information to come to that decision? And with a couple of these things, I felt that maybe I had got it wrong. So, for example, um, I didn't have a Man City midfielder and um, and Burmo was my choice of Brentford attacker. But let's start with uh, Brentford then, because it was actually speaking to Praz that helped me understand that maybe I'd got Mbermo a little bit wrong. Now, he did very well without Tony last season, and uh, a lot of us kind of, if we hadn't paid enough attention to the games, we were thinking, oh, well, yes, playing in, in up front. And we weren't entirely wrong. He was playing up front, but he was playing up front with Visser when Brentford were playing a 5-3-2, but only when they were facing the bigger teams. Now, naturally, that's when you are not looking to be too reliant on Brentford getting attacking returns because we, as fantasy managers, are always taught, with good reason, to follow the fixtures. And so when they have their nicer fixtures, is Mbermo going to play up front? Well, what we've seen is probably not. He's probably going to play on the right-hand side of a front three. And so uh, this was this is what uh, Praz helped me uh, realize when we did a team video uh, with him and I had a quick look at Visser and realized because he would be the one who's always going to play up front whether it's 4-3-3 or 5-3-2 and had a, and uh, and realized just based on what he'd done last season that maybe he was worth considering but I kind of looked at my team and thought hmm I got 3-5-2 I'm going to have to switch to 3-4-3 if I go down that route and then potentially upgrade elsewhere in midfield. So I thought I'd give it a go, and I built this second draft, which was looking at 3-4-3. Flecken and Shrikosha still in there. Uh, the back line changed, not too much, so Trent and Shaw remained. I decided to move Stones to Estupinian, who I'll talk about in just a minute. Then my midfield, I, I went a little bit more template in a few places here once I'd seen a few drafts, which I will completely admit to, a little bit of positive peer pressure. But don't worry, some of these guys, like Rashford in for Fernandez and Saka in for Martin, of course, are template choices, but I have gone on to mildly question those, and we're going to have some information and some data on those two players a little bit later on. Uh, Gross, I moved to Matoma, again, for the same reasons, but again, we're going to go into that in some detail. Haaland and Jesus uh, remained, and that Aston Villa Crystal Palace rotation is still there, going strong, but I tweaked it a bit to be Mitchell and uh, Matt Cash by this time. And I think the other thing is when we were looking at these 3-5-2s, there was nobody really in the 4.5 million midfielder bracket who in any way looked like a starter. If you have uh, had an opportunity to go check out the best 4.5 million uh, attackers uh, on our YouTube channel, on our podcast platform, do have a look. Thankfully, some things have moved on since we did that piece of content. And uh, Marvellous Nakamba has made his switch to Luton permanent. We are fairly confident he's going to play every game. He's not really going to give you anything other than appearance points, but that's more than can be said for most other players in the midfielder 4.5 bracket so I thought okay 
Let's stick him in and see what I can do with my team. And I started to have a look around at some of the other six millions, like a Calvert-Lewin, for example. And actually, Jimenez has just gone to Fulham, and uh, I'm a big fan of his, of course. Got his uh, Wolf shirt up behind me and have had that up for a number of years because he is a bit of a fantasy legend. I'm not necessarily saying he's going to be uh, exciting to have this year. He, he might not be able to you know, relive the, the glory days. But if he does, 5.5, that's quite nice. We've got Ferguson at Brighton, 6 million. So there were a number of players in the 6 million striker bracket that, that started to uh, make themselves known to me a little bit more after the, my first initial draft. And so I, I moved to this to try it out. Um, and as I said, thanks to uh, Praz for that. That helped me realise that there were ways that I could invest in the Brentford attack in a 3-4-3 formation. And I also have to thank Gianni for helping me uh, have a real look at Foden because Gianni was the first person I saw in the videos where we did these team reveals who, who came in with a Man City attacker who, on top of Haaland, everybody else just had Haaland and nobody else. And I was sat there with Raheem Sterling and thinking, hmm, okay, it's a bit of a gut feel, this one, but I don't really have much data to back it up. Whenever I'd done a few bits and bobs on my thoughts on Chelsea, and I was scrabbling around for some pieces of data that could convince me that Sterling was going to have this, you know, orbit-melting season, couldn't really find it. Now, I still have a bit of a mild gut feeling that that may happen, and pre-season will help me with that, although we've seen the likes of Nkunku and Jackson uh, be more of an attacking threat, and of course, both listed as forwards. So, worth saying that Jackson especially, only 1 million more expensive than Vista, so he might be someone I could potentially switch to if I can find the money, if I've got 3-4-3 already, because I know, and we'll come on to it in a bit, that I really want to hold Jesus and I really want to hold Haaland. So find, so th- there's more and more forwards emerging, basically. Uh, and so um, I was less wedded to Sterling, so I thought, okay, let's give, let's give Foden a go. And so those of you who are wondering about going into the Man City midfield, but are nervous about Pep Roulette, I want to assuage some of your fears by looking at some research from the start of last season. Um, it's, it's less reliable for the defenders, um, but uh, for the midfielders especially, I think it's quite easy to, t- to sit down and say, you know what, I think a lot of them are going to start a lot of games this season. For example, you know, Gundogan's just left. There's murmurings that Bernardo Silva may be going as well. Um, Kevin De Bruyne has had an injury, although it sounds as if he's going to be back sooner than expected. But that doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing because the general point here is that at the start of the season, last time out, Pep Guardiola actually rotated very little. Now, this season, they, of course, have got the uh, Super Cup coming up between Game Week 1 and 2, but Game Week 1, they play on a Friday night, so they've got an extra few days to prepare for that. Um, The Champions League comes in uh, after the first four, five game weeks. And so if we're looking at a really good team to start the season, I'll just jump back to the fixtures again, because, you know, obviously Man City's are very, very good. You know, if you sort by attack potential, they're the second best team on the ticker. Burnley away, Newcastle at home, Sheffield United away, Fulham at home, West Ham away, Forest at home. So on those first six, they look, wow, incredible. And so what we had a look at was Man City starts in the first four game weeks last season, the first six game weeks last season, and then the first 10. And we were blown away by actually how little rotation there was. So let's have a look at the first four game weeks. We had about... 10 players who played three or who made more, three or more starts. We had seven who made four or more starts. And the only reason that Ake uh, didn't make the fourth of those was because he had an injury. So Cancelo, De Bruyne, Foden, Haaland, Rodri, Edison and Walker. Each one of those started four times in the first four game weeks for FPL last season. Of course, Foden was one of them. Now, Foden wasn't as involved towards the back end of last season. So perhaps maybe could argue wasn't as in favor as much as he could have been but with those other departures and the fact that it sounds like Foden may get used in a more central location this season which means he could potentially uh, slot into the Gundogan vacancy I wouldn't I would be not shocked if Foden starts all four of the first four matches and we know what he can do when he does start he's very devastating when he is on the pitch he's always had good um, per 90 stats for shots and chances created and all those sorts of things and with those fixtures looking so nice it's very very enticing and interestingly enough this theme sort of generally uh, continues you go for the first six matches of last season and we had six players making six starts we had nine players making at least five starts so it was just KDB Diaz and Gundogan that didn't start all six and the, the the ones that started all six were Walker, Edison, Rodri, Haaland, Cancelo 
and Foden. And then when we go for the first 10, uh, it's worth pointing out that the first 10 game weeks last season did contain all those postponements based around the death of Queen Elizabeth II. So actually, um, there were only nine matches in this period for Man City. We had four starting all nine, Edison, Haaland, Cancelo, and you guessed it, Phil Foden. And then De Bruyne and Rodri started eight each. Diaz, Silva and Walker started seven each. And so... Just the general story is that at the beginning of the season, when there's not too much distracting Man City, and let's not forget, even when those European fixtures come in, the the quality of the opponent is going to be lower than what it was at the back end of last season because they're going to be in the group stages of the Champions League rather than in the advanced stages of it. Uh, and even if a result doesn't go their way, they'll you know can uh, recoup it in some way and uh, you know make up for it at a later date. So, for example could see him maybe favour the Premier League in this run as well, even when those European fixtures kick in. In effect, there is a very low chance of, of Pep Roulette at the start of the season. So I would just urge people to have a look at these numbers and, and go, OK, maybe I don't need to be so worried about Pep Roulette. And that's the reason why I thought, Do you know what, in which case, because that's what been put me off. I, I don't want a Man City midfielder, I oh, rotation, you know, that's the preconception. Well, having tested it with some of the numbers in the scout members area, I was able to uh, ease my fears a little bit. Now, let's talk about Brighton because, as I said, I had Gross to begin with uh, and then I went for Matoma. So let's talk through my decisions there. And I'm still undecided, I should say. There's still a number of things that I need to look for. Now, the reason I started with Gross was because we've been doing a bit of end of season content towards the end of last season. And uh, obviously, the team of the season had uh, Matoma, March, McAllister, all nominated for a role in that team. And it was there was some irony in many ways because uh, of those three, there, there was one Brighton player, midfielder, I should say, who scored more points than them. That was Pascal Gross, and he didn't get nominated. And we, we, also, we all sort of found that rather entertaining because no one really was ever that interested in him, uh, Gross, uh, despite the fact that he was doing well. So I thought, you know what? He scored the most points last season. Let's pop him in. And that was my thinking. But I started to have a look at some other numbers. And this... Oh, it's a minefield at the moment. It is a real minefield. So I'm going to go through some numbers and at various stages of these different numbers, I'm going to go, hmm, so that could favour this guy and that could favour this guy and that could favour this guy. So stick with me as I run through this because this does help us understand what the challenge is for Brighton uh, attackers. Uh, if you want more detail on this, uh, Joe did a fantastic video on them, uh, his 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 hometown club, the Seagulls, uh, about a week ago. So go check that out. Um, it's a very good piece of content. But in terms of my thought process, firstly, I looked at Brighton last season from game week nine to the end of the campaign, because that is when Deserby arrived at the club. And interestingly enough, top four starts was gross because one of the things that was frustrating towards the end of last season was all of those extra fixtures piled up meant we had loads of rotation and so the first thing that I have discovered by going through and looking at some numbers across the whole campaign for just Deserby, so that's game week nine onwards is that gross is probably the most rotation proof guy and that is because he plays a number of different positions he can play in midfield he can play right wing back he can play number 10 he can play on the wings you know, there's lots of different places he can play. Clearly a very fit guy as well. So, you know, he's able to um, sustain that. When you look at the rest of the team, you've got Dunk on 30 starts, Estupinan on 29, Caicedo on 28, McAllister on 25, March on 25, Matoma on 24, and Veltman on 19. They were the guys who started the most games for Brighton last season. So if you're worried about Brighton rotation... Gross technically is the one who we would say is the most um, immune to that. Now, there's a couple of mitigating factors in those lower numbers for March Matoma, uh, for example, because uh, March had some injuries. And so when fit, would probably have been creeping up more towards the 29-30 mark because he has been a bit of a mainstay uh, for that team for a very long time. Played for them in a number of different divisions. Matoma really only started to come into the team and, and be a first-choice player after the World Cup um, on a consistent basis and arguably has cemented his place in the side. So, you know, the gap between Gross and Matoma is probably not as big now as it was uh, at the beginning of that period. So do bear that in mind. But I do still think that if you are worried about Brian rotation and thinking, hmm, OK, maybe Matoma offers a lot of attacking potential, but I am worried about benchings. Gross probably just edges that little debate. 
I then looked at uh, creativity across the uh, whole period of Deserby, and again, it was Gross that came out on top. He created 66 chances between game week 9 and game week 38, three more than March, although it must be said that in terms of minutes per chance created, March was higher because he did play fewer minutes. Um, but as I said, if Gross is going to play more... You know, maybe that doesn't have to be an issue. Then we've got Stupinam, 46. I mean, he seems like a very sensible person to have in your team. Uh, and then Matoma with 39. So that's how the creativity uh, plays out. When it comes to the um, XG, though, we do have a very clear winner for goal threat. It is Matoma. And so between game weeks 9 and game week uh, 38, he had an XG of 8.10. Uh, then March had an XG of 5.39. Gross had a, one of 3.46. And so that's on the XG. So in effect, Matoma, he's the guy to go for if you want goal threat. So as I said, there's <laughs> throughout all of this, there's a sort of like back and forth, like this guy's good at this, this guy's good at that, etc. Um, what I then did uh, in terms of um, really trying to get a, a proper understanding of how the season finished is I did look uh, at uh, the final 12 matches of the season because that was, it was for the, the end 12 game weeks of the season because this probably is the best piece of data that we have to understand what Brighton are going to do when there is lots of rotation um, because of course between game week 9 and maybe 26 last season they didn't have to rotate as much as they probably will have to at the start of this season and they obviously had to rotate a lot at the end of last season with the number of postponements that they had and so um, yeah let's run through some numbers here so I sorted all Brighton players uh, by uh, expected goal involvement. So that's XG plus XA uh, between game weeks 27 and game week 38. And it was Matoma who came out on top with an expected goal involvement of 7.18. Gross with 5.67. Uh, we had Enciso with 4.60. March with 3.98. And then Ferguson with 3.58. And so that's a measurement of how many goals they should have been involved in. Now, unfortunately, this continues to go back and forth because it's not just about how many goals you should have scored it's also about how many goals and assists you did actually chalk up and the one thing that still concerns me about Matoma is how his goal conversion just fell off a cliff in the last six seven eight game weeks because when you look at his goal conversion rate just 3.1 percent that is actually very poor and it's the the worst of these five Brighton players uh, Ferguson with 15 percent uh, and Cecil with 14.3 percent March with 9.1 and who's the highest Gross, 17.6%. Now, all of these players offer goal threat from different areas. So, Matoma is still king of shots in the box, 28 in the box, nine big chances, and nine on target. So, for the first of those two stats over this period, he's the best. Now, Gross, just 10 shots in the box, only two big chances. So, he's very much a distance threat, but the same number of shots on target, um, and his XGI is about a goal and a half lower but his goal conversion rate is about 14 percentage points higher uh, and CISO probably is the one who looks the most exciting from this period because he only played 680 minutes he created 11 chances three of those were big uh, so that's only one fewer than Gross and two fewer than uh, March who all played considerably more minutes than him you know he had 16 shots in the box he had uh, five big chances, 10 shots on target. So despite playing 680 minutes, roughly half the number of minutes that Gross and Matoma played, he had more shots on target. His minutes per expected goal involvement is the best of all five of these players, 147.8. And so to get an XGI of 4.6 um, in this period when he's played hardly any minutes is incredible. Now, he played hardly any minutes because he was a rotation threat. So again, we come back to that problem of who is going to play. And so I still think that this is very up in the air as who I'm going to go for at the start of the season. I think the best thing to do is keep an eye on preseason. You can do that on Fantasy Football Scout, of course, with our preseason minutes tracker and see which players are playing the most, which players are being used as rotation uh, fodder. Probably unlikely to be too many of these. And CISO is the one who is maybe the most likely based on his role from last season. Uh, but also keep an eye on who's scoring the goals and who's involved in penalties as well. Because that also may be swaying people. Because <laughs> annoyingly, you know, just you, it's very difficult to separate these guys out from how many goal involvements they got from uh, under Deserby last season. You know, Gross uh, had uh, six goals. March had seven. Matoma had seven. McAllister, six. Ferguson, six. The goals are very spread around. So, maybe it may end up in a situation where it doesn't actually matter which one of these guys you have. <laughs>
possibly. So maybe all of everything I've just said was a total waste of time. Um, but yeah, just going back to that second team, there is going to be a Brighton slot and uh, it's just working out who it is going to be. So that's how my team looked and did look for quite some time. I sort of put it in a box, got on, you know, rolled my sleeves up and did a load of uh, uh, Fantasy Football Scout content looking at some of those specific issues. But the more of those issues that I started to look at, the more I started to think about other things I wanted to do with my team. And I had a bit of a tinker uh, this morning. Uh, What I was actually trying to do was I was trying to find out if there was ways I could invest in the Man United defence for a little bit cheaper because those of you who uh, checked out our video on Anana will know and those of you who checked out our video on the uh, current situation of pre-season minutes and pre-season just lessons we've learned from matches we've seen so far those of you you know check those out will know Um, you know we've we've got Anana around now we can say 0.5 on shore Um, we've got Wan-Bissaka being involved in pre-season he's the most utilized Man United fullback so far that may change that's something I've got my eye on and so I looked at um, saving money there. I like Luke Shaw. I want to be involved in Man United's defence. But the thing is, I started to look at United's fixtures a little bit more, and I'll bring them back onto the screen. You've got um, you've got uh, sorry Wolves at home game week one, Forest at home game week three. They look fantastic. But Spurs away game week two, Arsenal away game week four. It started to make me think I like Shaw, but I don't really think I'm going to get too much out of him necessarily in game weeks two and four because a clean sheet feels unlikely. And so I was like, hmm, okay, is there ways I can get a rotation here? Well, not really with Anana because he's 5 million. I don't like to rotate a 5 million goalkeeper. I don't like to even own a 5 million goalkeeper. I think it's too much money. And as I said earlier on, really like Flacken and Strakosha pairing. So I, I've got my eye on, can Dalot or Wambasaka nail down a starting position in this defence? Because if they can, we're going to have a 4.5. And what we've seen so far, Wan-Bissaka may be slightly ahead in that. We'll keep an eye on it. If it ends up being Dalot, great. If it ends up being neither of them, then I'll have to ditch this plan. But for now, I quite like being here. Uh, Wan-Bissaka was very, very creative in the win over Arsenal. Um, Created two chances in that game more than any other United player. He was up against uh, Tomoyasu, who is not really a left-back, so maybe he was afforded more space than he would normally. But knowing that we could have a Man United defender at 4.5, I thought, right, great, fine, let's let's do short to Wan-Bissaka, let's see what that unlocks. And I got myself 1 million. Now, the other thing that I've noticed in the last couple of days is the fact that um, Stones has continued to play in the role that he's been playing, and he's also been getting even more advanced and got himself a goal. And he has made himself very integral to this team. And just going back to the core group of City players who um, are likely to start lots of games, he wasn't really in that at the start of last season. But the overriding message is that Guardiola will probably know his best team broadly he does like to tweak things based on the opponent of course but they've got easy fixtures they don't have too many teams against uh, too many matches against teams that he will want to take a different approach against so therefore i feel like stones has made himself a player who is the most likely city defender to start every game and of course you look at those fixtures again they are ranking very highly so i thought okay that means i can get uh, stones in as well but it does mean selling Trent. Now, I've seen with Liverpool's preseason that they it seems to be very goal-heavy at the moment. Now, they've played just uh, German teams that we've not um, never really even heard of before. And so the fact they've scored lots of goals maybe isn't, you know, uh, too much, too groundbreaking. But they are conceding lots of goals as well. So I thought, OK, let's, let's take Trent out and put stones in just to see what that can unlock. And all of a sudden, I had a lot of money in the bank. And I was, oh, wow, wow. Okay. Um, the other thing that I was looking at was Fernandez and Rashford. And I'm going to come back to that in a minute because what it ended up helping me do, it then gave, I, I then gave myself another 0.5 million. And I'm sat there with 4 million in the bank. And I was thinking, hmm, um, that could get me to Salah. Now, admittedly, it involves selling Saka, who I don't know if is necessarily the right thing to do. And this, this team, I do just want to clarify, uh, is an experimental one. And I don't actually know if I'm going to go with it. But the more I look at it, the more I kind of like it. And so, for the benefit of the podcast listeners, it's Flecken and Strakosha in goal. Stones, Estupinan, Wambasaka as the back three. With Mitchell and Cash on the bench. Then Fernandez, Foden, Mitoma and Salah in midfield. With Visser, Haaland and Jesus up front. And then I've got Nakamba on the bench. And the more I look at it, the more I'm thinking, this is not bad. I kind of had told myself that a Salah draft was never going to work. And I think when the game launched, that was probably true. But as preseason has wound along and we've started to see a few more things happen that tilt us in one direction or the other, it's possible. It's possible that this could work. But it involves 
coming away from Arsenal a little bit. Let's talk about uh, Fernandes versus Rashford first, just to help you understand why I actually quite like saving the 0.5 on Fernandes. So a number of people have been a bit nervous about what impact Mason Mount is going to have on Fernandes at the start of the season. Uh, well, we uh, did a piece of content on that a couple of days ago, so go check that out for some more information. But I'm not too nervous about that anymore. I think there's a high possibility that we see both of them play number eight, one with Fernandes on the left, and Mount was at his most devastating when he was able to play as a right-sided number eight for Chelsea in the 21-22 season. 11 goals, 11 assists. And so if that's where he is best utilised, maybe that's where Ten Hag looks to put him. Um, the main thing is really is that what we've seen in prison so far, it's, it's, it's not too much of a strong uh, data set so far in terms of how big a set it is because we've only seen 45 minutes of it but we saw Mount a bit deeper against Arsenal Fernandez a little bit more advanced there was times when they swapped over a little bit but it was Fernandez who was pushing further forward and he scored as well and then when we look at how Fernandez and Rashford actually finished last season Fernandez was actually in an incredible place in terms of the stats because in the last 12 game weeks of last campaign his expected goal of on was 8.17 Rashford's was 5.73 and incredibly, there's only one penalty in this run. So even turning around and going, oh, you know, penalty merchant this, it's not really an applicable um, argument in, in, in this um, debate anymore because, yeah, just the one penalty and his XGI was so much higher. Now, some of you may point out, of course, and you would be right to do so, that Rashford did have some injuries, so he did play fewer minutes, but... Still doesn't matter because minutes per expected goal involvement, Fernandez was still better. 141.7 uh, minutes per XGI and then Rashford was 148. Of course, Rashford is a little bit more likely to be involved in the goals. 18 shots on target to Fernandez is 16 and 13 big chances to uh, Fernandez is 5. But the, the the sheer difference between his creativity is is, is massive. So Fernandez created 14 big chances in the last 12 game weeks of last season. That was by far the highest. It was double that of the four players who were joint third for that particular stat, 13 more than Rashford. So he's considerably more likely to be the assister. Having Mount around uh, is just an additional goal threat to have in the midfield. And actually having Mount around is an additional assist line for Fernandez to maybe get goals of his own. And of course, he did score in this preseason game now penalties also are important here to be honest because he they didn't get many last season but that seems like an anomaly man united are a team that traditionally get lots of penalties and any united fans out there who think that's me turning around and you know playing the old oh they always get the penalties card it's not really about that they are a team that has a culture based around tricky wingers fast players hitting teams on the counter-attack and catching teams off guard and it's and it's that attitude that quite often helps them win penalties because that's when defenders make mistakes when they're put on the back foot very quickly and asked to make a, a tackle um on demand split second oh no you know that sort of scenario so them not getting many penalties last season was the reason why Fernandes didn't do that well I would be very surprised if we see Man United get a similar number of penalties in 23-24 compared to the last campaign I do think we're going to see more penalties and so I'm not scared of going Fernandes over Rashford that may change but I do just think that Fernandez is looking really nice right now and I don't think that Mount being around is going to damage him as much as people uh, fear now, I'm going to talk about Arsenal now because, um, yeah, there's a lot to unpack here. Now, I obviously, in this experimental draft, have had to take out Saka. Now, I don't think that's necessarily a good idea uh, to take out Saka, but it's more about the fact that I would be less involved in Arsenal because at the start of the campaign, they do just have some lovely fixtures, especially at the start of the campaign in the first uh, three or four. So we've got Forest at home game week one. Forest were the worst team away from home last season. Then we got Palace away game week two, Fulham at home game week three. Then United at home game week four, Everton away, Spurs at home. So it's really the first three of those that look really nice. And so I'm not averse to going with two Arsenal attackers and maybe moving away from one of them when their fixtures get a little bit harder game week four. But who those Arsenal attackers are is a little bit of a debate right now. And before I come on to the midfield, I actually want to talk about Gabriel Jesus because I think people are sleeping on this guy. I'm seeing a lot of people go, hmm, 
he was in my first draft, but the more I look at my team, the less I'm excited by him. I kind of feel like he underwhelmed a little bit last year. I got to be honest, I don't really understand that logic. I actually think Jesus is the most important Arsenal attacker to have. When you look at the way he finished the campaign, he was massively under the radar uh, when he came back from his injury because we were all so heavily invested in those midfielders, Martinelli, Erdegaard, Saka, who for the most part were considerably cheaper and it was easier to get all of those guys in. The forward slots were mostly taken up with Watkins doing well. Haaland obviously had to take one up and eventually Kane put himself uh, on the radar as being an important player to own. And so finding room for Jesus was a lot harder than it is now in a world where he actually can make you a saving on Odegaard and Saka. Um, We don't have quite so many forwards. You know, Watkins still looks kind of good, but the fixtures aren't great, for example. And when you actually look at the stats behind how Jesus finished the season, he was their best attacker. Pretty much, hands down. So, expected goal involvement in the last 12 game weeks of last season, uh, Jesus was 7.07. That's the highest of any Arsenal uh, attacker. um, And was in the top uh, 8 or 9 for the division. Then, when you compare what he was doing in terms of goal threat to everybody around him, 11 big chances which was the most of any Arsenal attacker. It was actually five more than anybody else because Martinelli had six, Erdegaard had three, Saka had two. Shots on target was 12. And the only Arsenal player who had more shots on target than him uh, in that period last season was Havertz and he was at Chelsea playing up front, so that's probably why. So 12 shots on target for him, eight for Martinelli, 11 for Erdegaard, 10 for Saka. Shots in the box, 25. Martinelli, 16. Erdegaard, 13. Um, Saka, 18. And in terms of chances created, yes, he does take a little bit of a dip here. So nine chances created, Martinelli 17, Erdegaard 17, Saka 18. But actually the quality of the chances created amongst those guys wasn't really that high. So Jesus created one big chance, Saka, Erdegaard two each, and then Martinelli five. And so all that, as I said, contributed to the following expected goal involvement stats, which are amazing when you consider that uh, Jesus played 847 minutes, Erdegaard played 997, Saka played 938, now Martinelli played 685. Um, So, you know, him having more than him makes a lot of sense. But yeah, Jesus, 7.07 expected goal involvement, Martinelli 4.66, Erdegaard 4.41 and Saka 4.35. Now, of course, he is involved in the penalties, but they only had one in that run, which is why his expected goal involvement is probably quite low. And maybe they get more this season as well. And I'm not saying that Saka is, is, is not a good asset, but the more I look at these numbers, the more I'm thinking I probably could go to a different Arsenal attacker in midfield if I wanted to. Saka is the one that everyone has, of course. But I do just look at these numbers and think... Saka's not necessarily blowing all the others out of the water. His uh, his goal threat, especially towards the end of last season, um, is very much outside of the box. You know, uh, outside of the box or in the box, low quality chances. So 18 shots in the box, uh, two big chances, 10 on target. So he's, he's quite accurate, but he's not necessarily always being afforded the best chances. They are tending to fall to Martinelli and to Jesus. His goal conversion rate was the worst of those four. So he had a goal conversion rate of 17.4%, Erdegaard 26.1%. Martinelli 23.5 and Jesus 22.2 for example Jesus also was very in line with his um, goal involvements as well Um, what we could see is that Martinelli overperformed his XGI by 2.34 Erdegaard by 2.59 Saka by 1.65 and Jesus underperformed against his by 0.07 and so he's a a reliable sustainable guy who's going to regularly have shots in one of the best attacks in the league and it seems weird to have to justify him but I'm just I'm seeing a number of people feel like they can move away from him and I just think that he's got to be the one that you have. And then it's whether or not you go Martinelli, Erdegaard or Saka for your your second Arsenal attacker. That's just how I see it. I'm happy for people to disagree with me. If you think that's a terrible idea, then do let me know in the comments. Happy to uh, intellectually grapple with anybody. I do enjoy that when it comes to fantasy uh, Premier League. But it was this that helped me think, hmm, do I necessarily need to have that second Arsenal attacker? Now, maybe I cave to public opinion and do have that second Arsenal attacker for game week one. And it just made me have a look again at Salah. Because for all of these numbers... Uh, he finished last season as comfortably one of the best attacking assets. So I've also got on the screen expected goal involvement for every player in the Premier League in the final 12 game weeks of last season. And the player that had the highest expected goal involvement was that man, 
Salah. He had an expected goal involvement of 10.86. It was more than Haaland, more than the Wilson, of course, who was third highest for that. He had a very good end to the campaign. Uh, Kane as well, Watkins, Fernandez, uh, McAllister, Matoma and Jesus completed that list. And within that, 41 shots in the box, the most of any player in the Premier League. And, you know, compare that to Saka, just 18 in the same period. So, you know, am I really downgrading all that much to spend that extra money on Salah? I'm not saying I'm going to do it, but I want to be testing all of these ideas against some of the numbers. And the numbers are telling me that Salah is just a better goal scorer than Saka. 14 big chances for Salah, 2 for Saka, uh, 15 on target, 10 for Saka. Um, In terms of that creativity, still high, 18 chances created, 5 of them were big. For example, uh, goal conversion rate of 17%, 136 penalty box touches. Remember, we all said when we didn't have Salah in our teams that we don't think he's a bad player. We just think that we can't fit him in our teams. And so now that I've actually kind of accidentally found a way, I'm going, hmm, okay. Let's uh, let's see how this progresses. Now, just bringing this back to my team, I have to say it's completely experimental, and I, I'm sorry to cop out and do a team reveal, show you three, and say I'm not decided yet. <laughs> but that's probably a relatable situation. I'm sure a lot of you are in a similar similar position where you've got lots of decisions still to make. I am with you as well, and we need to see how preseason progresses because this draft is heavily reliant on us knowing that Wambasaka, for example, is definitely going to start for United. If we if we find that the right back position is is going to fluctuate between Wambasaka and Dalot, uh, and we perhaps maybe see that, that Shaw just offers so much more attacking potential than than Wambasaka as well, and is more nailed on, then I'm going to probably go back to Shaw. That loses me a million, and then maybe I need to sell Salah again. You know, it's 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 reliant on a number of different things that may go a certain way. Of course, I still have to point out that if Raya stays at Brentford and and remains the number one I'm gonna have to rethink my goalkeeper situation as well you know there's lots of different things that we need to keep an eye out and we'll see but I'm gonna spend the next couple of days in this draft I'm gonna see how it feels I'm gonna keep an eye on Arsenal in preseason as well it must be said they didn't do too well against United because they've got a little bit of rebuilding to do in that midfield not necessarily because there was anything wrong with it last season but they've made two high profile additions to it who they're gonna want to try and fit in and 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 upgrade it in many ways with Rice and Havertz and it does look as if there's been some teething problems so far, which you would expect, you know, that doesn't mean that they're going to have a bad campaign. It might just take a bit of time for those three players to get some rhythm together. And if I'm seeing that consistently in the preseason and I'm seeing Salah continue to bang in the goals for Liverpool in their more high profile games against the bigger clubs they've got to face on their summer tour, then maybe that does uh, help me feel a bit more confident, confident with this draft. But as I said, lots in the balance and I will keep you guys updated on what my team is looking like as the preseason progresses. Now before I leave you just one last chance to remind you that a lot of what you've seen here those tables come from the Fantasy Football Scout members area and if you want the ability to go in and find that information for yourself so you don't have to listen to me uh, then do sign up for your membership you can save up to 30% at those preseason prices and of course don't forget to like this video subscribe to the Fantasy Football Scout YouTube channel and hit that bell notification so you don't miss a single thing this summer as we prepare for a new campaign of FPL. But with that, I will leave you fine folks to enjoy the rest of your tinkering and I will see you next time. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.